a lot of the fundamentals are going to be the same, but what we are changing is the revenue model. And so when we looked at our first investment, we said, okay, well, if we can cover all of our expenses from Memorial Day to Labor Day, peak season, you know, we, we'd be off to a good start. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Our guest today is just a regular surfer guy who's built a successful short-term rental business under the brand name Live Swell, with a trio of bungalows situated in the stunning Kill Devil Hills area of North Carolina. He has a new book called Vacation Rental Confidential coming out July 29th, which is literally the day after we're recording this interview with him. Michael Hamilton, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. We always like having fellow uh, vacation rental owners on. And uh, tell us the quick story about how a surfer found his way into the short-term rental business. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a long story and there's a quick story, Neil. And I'm glad you said uh, bring out the quick story. Sometimes I can go <laughs> off track. The quick story is I I'm a real estate investor first, and I had gotten in, involved in real estate investing. You know, looked at the the scenario. I, you know, I'm like a lot of people on this call. I, I finished high school, did some college, eventually entered the rat race, and you know, felt felt stuck and you know, felt unfulfilled and said, "Wow, you know, if I need to do this for 30, 40 years of my life, this is this screams to me as an emergency." And so, the need to develop additional alternative streams of income became very, very clear and apparent. You know, and even when you look at the average retirement account balance of an average American, uh, it's, it's very discouraging and, and, and very disappointing. So I got involved in real estate investing. First um, investments I ever did were mobile homes that I bought. And myself and my girlfriend, we love to travel. Um, we love location independence. And we said to ourselves, well, look, when we travel, we don't stay in hotels. We, we don't choose that. I had a corporate gig for a while. I traveled a lot and, and stayed in hotels. It felt like a jail. Mm-hmm. And so we were considering buying another rental property in Memphis. And we said to ourselves, well, you know, I'm not overly stoked about the positive cash flow in the $300 to $500 a month range. It just seemed like a lot to really have to, a lot of insurance bills, a lot of tax bills, a lot of acquisition, a lot, a lot of things like that. So we said to ourselves, well, I really want to increase the cash flow. I really want to increase the equity potential. And so we said, well, we have this skill set in investing in real estate. We know how to buy properties at a discount for fair market value. We have a skill set in renovation. So that could you know, allow us to force the appreciation, create more equity. And so I identified a market where the price point seemed uh, reasonable that was introduced to me when I was living on the East Coast much earlier in my life, about 10, 12 years ago, a friend lived down there. And I said, let's try this. I said, a lot of the fundamentals are going to be the same, but what we are changing is the revenue model. 
And so when we looked at our first investment, we said, okay, well, if we can cover all of our expenses from Memorial Day to Labor Day, peak season, we'd be off to a good start because there was a lot more uncertainties getting involved in short-term rentals than some of the other traditional types of investments. But that's really how it, how it happened is the, the need to create more income, seeing that, being frustrated with maybe some of the first passive income investments, not frustrated, but just wanting more and wanting to grow faster. And, and we saw that opportunity in short-term rentals. So the first one was successful. By the second year, we were blowing away our income projections, and then we, uh, we started to add more. What was that first deal like? What, what did you guys end up doing? Yeah, so I'll, t- I'll talk specifically to that property. And people are listening, and you want to actually see the property, you can just Google Chill Beach and Surf Bungalow, Airbnb, or Home Away, and, and it'll actually pop up. And if you see the old Zillow of it, that would actually be great because you would see the before pictures of that property. So as I mentioned, as you were, were getting started here, our model is, is, is really simple, very conservative real estate investing approach. We look for distressed real estate opportunities that we can acquire at a discount from fair market value. Um, and then we, we force the appreciation of it by, um, by timely and, and, and uh, strategic renovation. So the first property we acquired is 2015. The market was not as hot as it was now. There was a smaller bungalow. It's a three bedroom, two bath. Had been on the market for probably over a year. So extremely long days on market had the characteristics of something that not a lot of people had interest in. And so when demand goes down, right? So does, so does, the, so does the price point or so does the motivation of the seller become stronger. So they wanted to get rid of it. And I remember the, uh, the listing card said, just bring an offer. And so I believe at one point the property had been listed uh, well over 200, close to 250 when they had initially lift, listed it. I acquired it for $140,000. Hmm. And I used, so this is, this is a you know, good product. At the time, you know, there's been a lot of changes, and maybe we'll get into this in this call, in the lending scenario in short-term rentals. But typically, you're either looking at a second home loan or you're looking at a traditional investment property loan. And I opted for the second home loan because I had my primary residence in California. So I was eligible to do that. The way the second home loan works, it works a lot like a you know, conventional loan. I was able to put down 10%. So I was able to get into this first property for right around 15 grand, which was a very low risk. And I didn't renovate it all immediately. And you know, sometimes I go back and look at it. It's like, holy smokes, I was embarrassed about some of the things, but I think that's part of the, part of the learning process is to just get in there and get going and, you know, you're going to learn along the way. Yeah. Uh, so over the next year, year and a half, uh, I put in about $35,000. So I was all into that property, first investment for about $50,000. That particular property today is value around $300,000. Gotcha. And you found that one on the MLS? Yeah. Yeah. That one actually, you know, at the time I was, like I said, I had targeted that outer banks market because there was some, uh, you know, real estate price points that seemed to make sense. And I'm looking at the numbers. I'm like I said, conservative real estate investor. So the numbers have to work. And, um, sorry, Neil, what was the specific question? I I got lost. No, so no, it's fine. So you found that first deal on the MLS, correct? Correct. That's right. Okay, so you're a numbers guy and real estate investing is very much a numbers game. 
in in single in the single family home space, just the regular traditional rentals, you know, there's a lot of rules of thumb. There's the one percent rule where you want one percent of your you'd prefer to have one percent of your rent equal to uh, one prefer your rental income to be equal to one percent of the purchase price. You know, you're right. typically you're typically gonna have fifty percent of your expenses, fifty percent of your rental go to expenses before debt service. Um, right. What are, you know, what are some numbers that you, it's much harder with short-term rentals, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a much more fluid target you're aiming at. How do you, what's the financial model you're using to, to evaluate? And I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking just to screen a property. You don't, I don't, I'm not expecting you to sit here and give us a, uh, a graduate level course in short-term rental uh, financial modeling. But, you know, what, what were you, what gave you the confidence that this was going to work? To, to make it simple, it's, you know, at the end of the day, are my revenues going to cover all my expenses and leave sufficient enough cash flow over that it's worthwhile? Am I am in a position to create equity that later I could have options on, right? Doing 1031s exchanges or refinancing and, and leveraging that equity. So I'm at a surface level looking, do I have the ability to make money? The ugly side of the vacation rental business is the expenses. And I know a lot of people Google it and there's a lot of negative content that comes up and, you know, it really depends. It depends on the owner. What's their approach. We have a competitive advantage in creating revenue. Take all else equal. Somebody has the same chill beach and surf bungalow. I don't know how, how well they're going to market it or if they're going to use a, a property management company. So it's really about, can I, can I make money? Now we do absolutely have a system and a process that we use that we were forced to build. There are calculators that are out there for traditional rentals, right? You can find them or there's those uh, back of the envelope calculations, 1% rules, stuff like that. But a lot of them omitted key expenses. They didn't have, you know, a line item in there for your corporate entity or your accounting expense or the repairs and maintenance numbers seemed, seemed a little bit light. So, you know, having now had, had a property, I said to myself, well, we need to design a vacation rental super analyzer, just like a commercial opportunity, right? There's commercial analyzers that are out there for multifamily storage, you know, all the, all the different uh, asset classes in commercial. Well, we needed to, to build one specific to the vacation rental space that we knew was accurate. And that was accounting for all the expenses. And I think that's where people go wrong is there's a lot of excitement in vacation rentals and they might over forecast revenues and underestimate expenses, but it's really about documenting all of those, making sure they're in your analysis. And so on a more granular level, what do I look at? I look for an internal rate of return of over 20%, right? So based upon the entire cash flows, inflows, and outflows of the opportunity, right? From the moment that we buy it, did we capture equity, right? Did we force appreciation? We had more equity, right? How well did we do on an annual basis? Did we make 20 to $30,000 cash flow, right? So all of those, we're going to look at them over a three to five year timeline. So we want to see an internal rate of return in that 20% range. And then we want to see at least 150,000 or more of equity creation during that time. What kind of expenses go into a vacation rental? Maybe the ones that people are, the ones that people are typically missing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of those are going to be the ones that I was mentioning right there is not having a line item in there 
for your accounting, right? This is a business that needs to be properly assessed, right? With the numbers, the income statement and the profit and loss statement needs to be, be dialed in, right? Now somebody can choose to do that themselves or they can hire a professional. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a good bean counter. I mean, I, I can count, I can count the beans, but that's not, that's not really where I like to focus <laughs> my time. It's not what I enjoy. So, you know, we outsource that. And so we pay for that entity setup. We believe in asset protection. So we have entities. We incorporate in the state of Nevada, even though that we do business in other states. But those are, those are absolutely things that people just aren't taking into account. I, I feel like, too, on the repairs and maintenance side, property supplies. For example, toilet paper, paper towels, soap. The demands in short-term rentals are increasing. And yeah. what we don't believe in is being part of the commodity stock of vacation rentals. You know, one of my mentors, Seth Godin, not that I know him personally, but he's, you know, I consume a lot of his content and I, I love him. He's one of the, the marketing kings and he talks about, you know, there's a race to the bottom in a lot of industries. And, you know, we want to compete on value. We want to compete on service. And so... You know, we make sure that these things are supplied um, that sometimes people might overlook. You know, there, I have an ice scoop in the refrigerator. You know, little, little things like that, you know, to make guest experiences top notch, um, not feeling like it's grimy, I, I, think are, I think are really, really important. So it's looking at those things. Yeah, the little things can be a really big pull, especially at the beginning when you're first trying to get like reviews on Airbnb. I know for us, you know, we had pretty low price point just to get people in there, but I was, I was a stay at home mom at the time. So I was adding a lot of really little personal touches, some things we can't do anymore, but having a lot of those little things that people kind of forget about. Um, and then they become super convenient for them and make it easier for them to have a good vacation rental, you know, good vacation experience. I think it's so valuable because you get that return on your uh, reviews that then, you know, get you more income and, and it's, it's can be overlooked. Um, if you want to just have this, like you said, kind of like a bare bones, bottom level rental, you're not going to get those really great reviews. And then that can hurt your rental ability. Yeah. Which I agree with hundred percent because in the beginning, like you're saying, you got to get people in, you got to build the reputation, the credibility and so what you're speaking to specifically is welcome gifts. And mm -hmm. yeah, there can be logistical challenges with welcome gifts. We've always had either an inspector or a property manager that we've empowered to manage our properties on site. You know, I'm here today in California. Um, it's the high season in North Carolina and our business will run seamlessly. And in the beginning, we, we actually partnered with a, a local company that makes these Kill Devil Rum Balls. The Outer Banks is, has a pirate history and <laughs> rum in the old days used to be called Kill Devil. And, and so there's a distillery there and they make these rum balls. And we partnered with them and said, we'd love to get these as a welcome gift for our guests. And some guests love them. Some guests didn't. Some didn't like chocolate or they thought there was alcohol in them. So there was, there was some <laughs> of those little issues there. But that was a perishable item and either for our inspector to deliver that after a, a property was cleaned or for a property manager to deliver those, there was a, always a risk of that. So we've actually changed from perishable welcome gifts to some of our branded products. And that's where a lot of my time goes now. It's more into the creative projects and why I got into real estate to begin with is to be creative and create more options and have freedom. But we, we have a beach tote that we, we manufactured this year with our, our brand and our logo. And you know, people probably forget a beach bag when they come to the beach, they show up and there's 
a very, very nice, beautifully made custom beach bag waiting for them. So, you know, there, there's that creative side that's, that's, that's fun as well, but it's also important to not to get, you know, times our most valuable non-renewable resource. So we just got to be cautious as well. Yeah. Makes sure. sense. So you, I've heard you talk often about building a systems based business. And I'd actually, rather than ask you to describe a, a systems-based business with a vacation rental to, to start, I'd like you, like you to start by actually describing a vacation rental owner who has not built a systems-based business. Well, there's, uh, there's the person, you know, just like in a traditional rental. And I guess I'll start this way. I believe there's a difference between an investor and a landlord. There's a better way to describe it. Ultimately, I got in this to create freedom and... I've been fortunate enough to leave my you know, well-paying corporate job, but I was trading time for money. And, you know, so people have a choice and it's not wrong or right. And I never tell anybody what to do, but if somebody says, Hey, I'm going to be the landlord, right. And they're going to be the one responding to the calls, pulling the potato out of the toilet bowl in the middle <laughs> of the night, you know, and then maybe coming the next morning at 7am because, you know, the person can't find the internet password. Uh, it could become a massive time dump. So, you know, responding to all the guest inquiries, dealing with all the on-site activity, maybe even cleaning, you know, uh, pe people, sometimes people clean themselves. Again, that's not wrong or right. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a choice that I've decided to um, say, look, I'm going to outsource this because it's not the highest and best use of my time. And I'm not the best cleaner. I, I am OCD about being clean, but I'm definitely not the best cleaner because somebody could come behind me and definitely find something. Um, so I think that's what it really looks like for somebody that doesn't have systems is it looks like, or maybe even I should say it feels like, like an octopus on roller skates. You know, you're running in a lot of different directions and mm -hmm. that can feel overwhelming in any business, in any business. And I think I saw on your website, guys, and you guys are, it seems like proponents of uh, Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Yep. I think I saw that there and you know, I am too. That, that book is a foundational book that we built our business on. We use the concept that Michael Gerber talks about in there, you know, document everything, build your business as if one day you're going to sell it, build your business as if you didn't have to be there because in, in order for a, a business to be sustainable, if one person has to be there, if they're not there, the, the wheels fall off. That that's not a sustainable scenario. So, uh, we were fortunate enough to be introduced to that early on and to avoid uh, probably a lot of those typical ha hassles that sometimes people maybe that, that haven't been introduced to that principle, you know, might, yeah. might suffer or, or struggle with for a little while. Yeah. We were basically in that boat a lot because we didn't know we were new to the, the short-term rental, I mean, to real estate in general. So I had a, how old was Holden? Like six months. Six months <laughs> yeah, I was at a six month old and I was cleaning the casita, yeah. <laughs> which was not fun. I and mean, we, we eventually did find a, a cleaner that helped for a while and stuff. And now we do have a lot of those systems in place. So what for you, what does a system look like for your short term rentals? Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because look, in the, in the beginning, I'm not immune. So mm -hmm. to sit here and say I'm above cleaning would be, I'd be lying. Uh, and, and I don't do that. So in the beginning I did clean the property and, and here's why it wasn't because I thought I was saving money. It was because I said to myself, I want a specific result. Mm -hmm. We had hired a cleaning company that we didn't give a system to. 
And, you know, what we found was some of the reviews said, oh, you know, are you guys getting your money's worth uh, from mm. your cleaner or I found this? And so we said to ourselves, well, look, you know, we, we're going to need a little bit more control over the scenario. So let's do some cleans. Let's document every single thing that we're doing. And that's down to the little whiteboard on the refrigerator that says, welcome to the bungalow and OBX, uh, Mike, Maria and Puka, right? That, you know, they're responsible for that. The inspector is responsible for inspecting the property, has a checklist to inspect the property, but they also bring some of the experience items like that tote bag, that beach tote bag that I was telling you. So how do we develop a system? We find a recipe that works and then we document it. And so we clean the house and we make sure we document, okay, every single thing that we're doing and becomes a checklist. I mean, that checklist is really, really good because now it, it allows you to have a level of accountability too with people. Things are black mm -hmm. and white. If we want every one of our people that we bring on to be successful. Um, however, like I said, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes too. Uh, what mm -hmm. that system will allow us to do is say, okay, well, um, you know, the inspector found a lot of sand on the floor. Okay, great. Okay. So, you know, we might just reach out to the, to the cleaner and say, you know, you know, what's going on or, you know, we just, just got to make sure this is a uh, improved for next time. And so, yeah, it just, it reproducible systems mm -hmm. allow for predictable results. And, you know, when you look at franchises like Taco Bell, McDonald's, things like that, that's why people buy them. They're, they're buying them because they've done the legwork, they've done the analysis, they've done the hard work of, of building, you know, a system that, that works. Yeah. I'm curious. So you have a cleaner and then you have someone else that comes back through that makes sure that everything's good to go. Inspections. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So part of that inspector's role, and we didn't always have this. So this is an evolution. Mm -hmm. This is definitely an evolution. And it definitely wasn't the first couple of years that we had property inspections. Uh, but I like to, I like to model success and a good friend of mine in San Diego, who now actually lives in the Outer Banks, worked for a vacation rental management company here in, in San Diego, which is clearly another very popular vacation rental area. And he was doing inspections for that company on very, very high end, you know, multiple million dollar properties. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Christian, I said, tell me a little bit about more what you're doing over there. And he's like, yeah, you know, I go in after this and I have this, you get three different types of inspections, an arrival inspection, a quick busy turn inspection. And then after the cleaner had, had checked out. And so, you know, fortunately he was able to, you know, give me enough insight and idea. And then, you know, I took the idea and said, okay, well, we're going to make sure that we're, we're not the cheapest in our marketplace. We have a lot of responsibility to make sure we deliver on a promise to our guests that their mm -hmm. um, you know, cleanliness is an intolerable in my mind. And so um, I said, this year we're going to put in place an inspector and it's not that we want to beat up a cleaner. That's not the point of it. It's to help the cleaner. Yeah. It's to help the cleaner and, and point out, okay, look, if I went through, okay, this, this just needs to be addressed or it, it can also save us too. Like, for example, we're pet friendly. That's another way to increase your revenue in the vacation rental space, but it also becomes more work. So we're able to compensate our cleaners more, but there can be, you know, more troublesome areas. So sometimes in the sectional couches behind the ottoman is a, is a trouble area where some pet hair mm. will accumulate. So the inspector knows to check those you know, under certain things they know to check. And then that way, when the guest arrives, we can't avoid risk in any business, but we can strategically reduce it. And that's where our intention is. Gotcha. Is that inspector paid on a per inspection basis or do you have them sort of under contract? Yeah, I have them under a contract where there's a certain amount that they get paid per month per property. And 
I, I'm a big believer in you know incentivizing people with bonuses and, and, and hiring is extremely important. I mean, hiring is not created equal. A great book is by Jeff Smart called Who. And so we model different hiring systems in our business. And then we try to look at people at what their personalities are like. You know, we don't really look at their capabilities and the raw talent of, you know, can they execute the job, but do they fit our core values, right? Or, you know, they have mm -hmm. a passion for the brand or they're going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, some of these other things. So, yeah. So let's go back a little bit to the beginning. You, I know that you went through Fortune Builders mentoring program. And is that mainly how you got yourself educated with real estate in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, specific to real estate investing, I, um, yeah, fortunes builders has been a, been a, been a close part of my investing career for, for a while. I'm not as engaged with that community anymore, but I have a lot of, a lot of relationships and people that, that continue to push me. So in terms of real estate specifically, Definitely Fortune Builders was my primary education resource, but I don't discount traditional education too, mm -hmm. uh, because there are some other skills that are important as well. There's raw business strategy, technique, all that stuff, but communication is extremely important. Problem solving is extremely important. You know, one of the things that I've learned a lot about too over the, over the years and I love that this podcast is called The Road to Family Freedom. Uh, somebody shared with me, they said, the road to financial freedom is paved with personal development. So there's a lot of skill sets that go into real estate investing that are just not raw talent skills. Those are absolutely essential and necessary, but there's a lot of other ones too that I think are, are going to be important. Well, you mentioned skill. What do, what do you think is uh, one of the most critical skills for a real estate investor, specifically short-term rental investor to have? Right. So, I mean, I'll, I'll ping off of that quote that I just gave you and I'll, I'll say it again. So the, the friend of mine shared this with me and said, the road to financial freedom is paved with personal development. And Tony Robbins talks a lot, a lot about the ability to control emotional state. Well, in business and real estate, you know, there's a lot of emotion. There can be a lot of money. You know, you're working with people different things can come up. So it's, it's really important as a business leader to be able to you know, temper yourself and control your emotional state. And that's something that I'm still getting better at. Um, and I'm still learning you know, as, as I go through the journey. I grew up in, in the Northeast, Long Island, New York, and um, it's a different place. People are a little angrier over there. <laughs> so I needed to go to California and uh, mellow out a little bit. So that that's definitely one of them in terms of like what skill sets are important. We've hit one of them so far hiring. I mean, you can achieve a lot as an individual, but if somebody really wants to be significant, they're going to have to work with people and you're only going to be as good as the people in your business, specifically to short-term rentals, but any business, right? I mean, customer service I mean, customer yeah. service is something that I observe it all the time because I'm just thinking about it. And so I go into, you know, some places I'm just appalled at the level of customer service. And then you go into a Chick-fil-A and you're like, how are these guys killing it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have Chick-fil-A in, in Vegas, but you, like a Chick-fil-A, sometimes I feel like I'm treated better than a five-star steakhouse. And they have the same labor pool as McDonald's, as everybody else. So why, why are their people just have a higher customer service aptitude than, than others? Financing basics are going to be essential right? Learning how to buy real estate. So, so your basic real estate investing education and the skill that I would say too, that maybe was the hardest for me is learning how the wealthy and entrepreneurs think. 
I grew up in a family that was hardworking, you know, middle-class family. And my parents had civil servant jobs. Um, they didn't have an entrepreneurship education. They didn't necessarily have an investing education. So a lot of what I was taught came from, from that kind of a world. And again, there's nothing wrong with that world, but I wanted a different result. And so there were some different concepts and some different things that I had to learn about. I had to learn that, you know, time was our only non-renewable resource, you know, and, and knowing that fact, how do you, how do you structure yourself? Do you do everything? Are you saving money because you're cleaning the house or actually is that costing you money because it's not the highest and best use of your time? Hmm. You know, I think an important one or one that a lot of people can relate to is debt. Like I grew up, you know, Hey, credit cards are bad. All debt's bad. Well, maybe it depends. It depends on the person. Debt is like fire and water. Um, you know, it can accelerate things, but it can also be detrimental to things if it's not used wisely. So really understanding how the wealthy and entrepreneurs think. And, you know, fortune builders helped me a lot with, with those things. Gotcha. How long after you finished uh, training with fortune builders before you acquired your first piece of real estate? I actually had acquired my first piece of real estate when I had, it was within six months of, of being in that community. Okay. Yeah. First deal I ever did. The, the nice thing about that community is a community of real estate investors. Um, I got introduced to some people and I was looking at passive income. And, and so my first ever investment, I purchased a couple mobile homes from another investor that acquired a park on an owner finance deal, uh, needed some improvements. And so the, the deal was, was um, it was like 8K per, per double Y and the cash flow on it was like $500 a month or something in, the, in that range after the lot rent and stuff like that. And I I'd just come out of graduate school. I didn't have a lot of money. I had debt and people showed me, Hey, look, you have to be wise using debt, right? We're never going to teach, you know, teach anybody to, to use debt to finance Christmas, mm -hmm. right? We're going <laughs> to teach them to use debt to buy income producing assets or increase their human capital, right? What their, what their potential is. And so, um, yeah. Were, any, were there any challenges that you think uh, held you back early on? from doing that first deal? Well, I mean, there's, I mean, I think fear is natural in any worthy endeavor. Things, things can hold you back. I was a little more fearful, I think, in my first flip. You know, that, that seemed a little bit more foreign. The money was raised from private investors. We're hiring people for the first time. You know, at this time, I was, I was working with a business partner when I did flips. We were hiring people, so we were getting an introduction to that. Which is, which is, you know, you're not always going to get the, the right person, you know, the first time. But again, there are things that you can do to lower your risk. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to struggle with fear and getting the right people on your team and you know, just, just learning that I think is critical. So I want to dig in a little bit to the financing. You talked about a second home loan. And can you talk a little bit more about... Um, the restrictions on that and you know are, are there any sort of caveats that go along with getting those kinds of loans yeah so I, i'm not a mortgage broker so i don't want to speak to all the specific financing <laughs> we, won't, we, won't, we won't hold you to don't, it. don't hold me to it now you know my understanding of a second home loan is it has to be in a location that you're not in so at that time i was living in california and so i was eligible for my primary residence in california i was eligible to have a second home there and the second home loan is treated a lot like uh, an individual's uh, primary home loan. You can put less than 20% down, and I think you'd even put less than 10% down 
Uh, I decided to put 10% down. That's, that's kind of where I felt comfortable with it. The interesting thing about short-term rentals is the landscape is, is changing a lot and it's starting to look a lot more like commercial real estate assets where banks are starting to look at these opportunities as asset-based loans as opposed to credit-based loans. For example, one of the bigger companies that probably a lot of people on this call have heard of or know, um, Quicken Loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can't say that I've participated in this, but it is something that I'm considering. They've um, allowed people to refinance and also use validated income statements from Airbnb, HomeAway, vacation rental by owner to refinance their properties. I think that's a, a, it's a fantastic evolution of the lending space in the right direction because traditionally vacation rentals in the past were treated exactly like investment property loans. Um, and, and if your income wasn't sufficient enough to support it, then unfortunately they couldn't, couldn't write you uh, loans. Another lender that I've recently bumped into that I've had uh, conversations with, uh, I, I can't speak to actually engaging in their product, but I, I'm very interested in their product because I'm considering, you know, I'm considering I am doing an, uh, a round of acquisitions here in the fall. And we believe this could be a really great product for it. So it's a completely asset-based product. They will look at somebody's credit score, but what they're not looking at is their debt to income. They're not looking at tax returns. They're looking at, uh, they, they um, have a higher down payment requirement. So they're going to reduce their risk that way, 25%. But they will lend on short-term rental properties on 30-year terms, right? Great amortization type scenarios, you know, without all of the typical hassles that people have had to deal with with traditional rental properties and, and getting to that point, maybe before they've established a relationship where they have a commercial lender and a bank that can look beyond their credit and income scenario. Gotcha. So did you mention the name of that company? Vizio Lending is the name of that v- company. Vizio Lending. Gotcha. So, you know, one of the challenges with one of the biggest wealth builders in real estate is the Burr method, you know, being able to buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. And one of the challenges with short-term rentals, often you have not been able to do that because the banks, they look at it and they go, well, it's not a traditional, you know, where's the, where's the income? The income's too varied. We don't like to do that. So what you're saying now is that some of these lenders will now basically allow you to, to do that? Yeah. Yeah. They want the validated statements. So for Quicken, they, I don't have a, I don't believe they have a purchase program, but they have a refinance program, right? So you can get your capital out to make further purchases. The Vizio lending does have a purchase program. Gotcha. gotcha. And so the way that they do it, I guess the piece, the, the piece that might be missing there is, so let's say it's a new purchase, right? There's no income history of the property. They have some algorithm or some database that they're going to look at, particular to the market size of the property, and they are going to come up with an estimate of what they believe that the property can produce in terms of revenue. And just like commercial real estate, they're using the debt service coverage ratio to make sure, okay, is the amount of income coming in going to be sufficient enough to cover the debt on the property? Okay. So let's dig, I want to dig a little bit more into time. We, we've talked about systems-based uh, things like that, but what, uh, what does the day in the life of a short-term rental investor like yourself look like? Well, for the record, this is Sunday, and uh, we're, <laughs> chatting, we're, we're, we're chatting, uh, chatting real estate. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely committed to my business, my guests, 
and and really the you know the people that are on our team and you know creating uh you know at this point now that I've gotten my time back from the corporate world, you know definitely committing to to growing. And so in terms of the operations of the business, my business is going to run fine. The operations as they are right now will run without me. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I'm in uh, San Diego right now. The, the properties are almost 3,000 miles away. A lot of people would have concern about that. I have confidence knowing that I have the right people in place. My operations manager actually, <laughs> my inspector, comes from an operations management background where he managed a multi-million dollar plant. So um, when we talk about getting the right people on our team, I'm not just looking at, hey, can this person execute? But is this somebody that can actually add value? And uh, for him, he recently left his corporate job and says, hey, well, I want to you know, build more of what you've built. So he's kind of taking it as an opportunity to learn. But your question is, um, what does what the, the, the typical day look like? So in terms of operations, I'm removed from the operations. And just a little bit on that EMIT principle, it's a lot more fun at least for me, to work on a business mm-hmm. than to get stuck working in a business. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy working on a business. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. It can be frustrating. You know, when you have, when anybody has things they want to achieve and they're, and they're worthy things, some, sometimes disappointment's going to happen, right? When you're, when you're striving for great things. So my role at this point, and like I was, I was saying, is I'm looking at more acquisitions, both on the residential side, uh, we are looking at commercial acquisitions. We'd like to take a look at reproducing our model in smaller multifamily buildings. Uh, and then there's also some, possibly even boutique hotels. And then there's other um, commercial type projects that we could look at too that are called cottage courts on the East Coast. They're pretty popular in vacation areas where there's maybe six to 10, 12, but what otherwise, you know, the basic way to describe it is they're basically single family homes on the same plot of land, but they, they function as a cottage court, um, a group of vacation rentals, and all the, the modeling and evaluation is, is commercial. So those are the things that I'm doing. I just got my hands on the Valuate software, so I'm, I'm learning commercial a little bit more, getting more prepared for that, and different creative projects. You know, the reason I got into real estate was to be creative and create more freedom you know, the real estate investing is, is definitely a vehicle to, you know, to, to get time back and ultimately eventually work on more purposeful projects. Uh, you know, I feel like once somebody reaches a certain level of, you know, their, their income's taken care of, they, they have a nice nest egg, a nice wealth and things are running well, you know, what are you going to, what else are you going to work on and contribute? So part of the contribution uh, is now, and that's why I, I, you know, wrote the book partially is, is because there was a lot of people that said, Hey, look, you know, like what you're doing, guests. Um, we've hosted thousands of guests now. Uh, we like what you're doing. We might want to get involved. A lot of questions, tons of questions come up. So I was like, okay. A buddy of mine that I mentored is a commercial real estate investor. He had a property in Cedar Lake, Indiana. He was upgrading to another property, him and his wife. And he said, look, my wife, you know, while we're building our, our, our new house, uh, we want to rent this one short term. Can you, can you coach my wife? And so I was able to provide Heather John Deshauer's wife, some, some insight and, you know, got them up and running. And, and then after that process, John said to me, he's like, Hey man, he's like, you need to write a book. <laughs> and I, you know, I had never really thought about writing a book and it took some time, right? That was, that was something that definitely took some time. I mean, holy smokes, it takes a lot more than maybe you initially think I mean, once you go through the editing and everything else. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to admit this over, over live speaker. I, 
was reading one of the chapters yesterday. I saw a couple spelling mistakes still after multiple rounds of editing. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I find but, them uh, all the time in like right? super professionally edited books. You can't get away from it. I'm, <laughs> I know. The way I, know. I read, I'm always like, what? But yeah, so yeah. don't yeah. worry about it. It happens <laughs> in like... Uh, <laughs> perfect is the enemy of done. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It is infuriating, I'm yeah. sure, though. <laughs> What was I going to say? I actually saw something on your Instagram account. It was a hashtag that you guys put there. It said something about experience over stuff or experience Experiences over things. Over things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another creative thing that we want to work on too is, you know, following, you know, modeling success. We believe in modeling success. It's one of the principles we subscribe to. Um, you know, if you look at what Airbnb is doing, there's the disruptive piece in the short-term rental space over the past 10 years or, or even less. I'm not even sure at this point. But, uh, you know, they don't only have accommodation or stays. They have experiences. And, um, you know, we feel like we can grow into that, too. And we have a lot of branded products on site. We, uh, one of our guests came from Pocasset, uh, Rhode Island. Hmm. And she had a brand of soap. She left three of these large soaps at our place. And uh, later, our, our property manager gave them to us because they were, they were left for us. And she gave them to us. And we reached out to this girl's name is Stephanie Brandt. Said, hey, Stephanie, we'd like to see if you'd be open to co-branding uh, one of these natural organic soaps that we can leave in our places. Um, we'll co-brand them so both of our labels will be on there. Um, so, you know, we're looking at looking at more stuff like that so we can put ourselves in position really to pour gasoline on the fire. I don't know if you listen to the yeah. Tim Ferriss podcast at all. Tim Ferriss is one that I listen to a lot. And um, we've resisted the temptation to grow in terms of number of units over the past couple of years because we really wanted to focus on when you're smaller, right? You, you could talk more to your customers, things like that, but you could also perfect your process. And then once the process is, is solid, then, then pour a little more gasoline on the fire. That's cool. That's a great point. So talk to us a little bit about that, uh, the, the, the sort of the branding that you're doing with the, with the beach, um, uh, with the beach bags and things like that. Is it something that are the items that you're selling to the customers there while they're on your on site or is it stuff that they can then buy later on? Yeah. So that's, that's the end goal. We haven't opened that up yet, but currently in development right now on our site, there's a, you know, something that's called shop. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot of different things from, you know, the tote bags. One of the best sellers if you go anywhere is going to be mugs. You know, the soaps are important. We can package them. I'm a big, you know, why did we, you know, live swell as well is because the mission of it is to open the doors to laid back surf lifestyle. I'm, you know, as you mentioned, I'm just a, I'm just a surf guy, right? At the end of the day. So I, I take a lot of trips. I mean, the traveling is natural in that space because you want to go to different places and Bali, Indonesia happens to be one of my favorite places. And I was there this time last year for about a month uh, with Maria, uh, my girlfriend and business partner. And we actually had some goals there to, to, to work with some manufacturers and get some products, which we didn't realize that we didn't have enough time at the, at the time that we really committed to it. So it was interesting that we just bumped into somebody that in Bali, there's a, everybody watches the sunset and, and has a beer. There's this one beach, Kuta Beach always faces the sunset, but there's these really cool beanbag chairs and they're so comfortable and they're everywhere. And so we just happened to find a vendor and we, we got a bunch of them custom design with our logos. We only had like five days left. So I had to put pressure on a guy to have them done like two days, which he complied with because he wanted to get them done. And, you know, we came back with these, we put, you know, we have patches so we can label things, we have hats and all these different things. So we can 
label them. And, you know, this year, I mean, we've had requests to buy them. We actually sold one. It was our last one because I only had about 10 of them. Um, I was a little resistant of it because we have to you know, work on, on getting more. But uh, one of our guests came from Maine. She was so stoked. It was her uh, son's birthday coming up. She's like, I really want one of these beanbag chairs. And I was like, oh, let me see if I can find one. <laughs> and then I saw that it was really, really special for her. And, um, you know, we were like, okay, cool. Like, you know, my dog chews them every once in a while while I'm there. So mm-hmm. we got we to gotta be careful about replacement. But, and that's because she's a puppy. The yeah. guest dogs haven't chewed anything. My dog chews everything. <laughs> so, what, kind of, uh, what kind of dog do you have? I have a, I got a black lab puppy Aww. and she's going to be a year old next month. So, Aww, um, yeah, black labs yeah, are puppy. Black labs are puppies until they're like seven. <laughs> That's what they say. So I got my hands full. So yeah, I just, just create a projects like that. And, you know, ultimately in, in, this is not an original idea that I'm, I'm having here. There's other Airbnbs that are set up as almost concepts, shops, where basically it's a demo room where people can try things. Uh, we have a, a relationship now with a company called Home Reserve. They make modular sectional couches that have pet-friendly fabrics. Okay. Uh, they're fantastic for small spaces. You can build them in any space and you don't have to go crazy about somebody spilling on it. We have, you know, I'm a sucker for fans. I used to fly a lot on airplanes and I think you know, some of the marketing in the, the airline magazines got me to buy the big ass fan. Um, so we have a couple of those in our places and, you know, people like them. And and so some of those things as well, people ask us about our mattresses. And so I think just making things available, right. And these are all the products that we use in our, in our property. Um, if you like them, then there you go. Yeah. You can sell them or, I mean, even if you have just an affiliate link on your, uh, site that could still bring in a little bit of revenue until you have the ability to actually sell it to them. Sure. Well, and it's an interesting concept in one of our previous interviews with Ziana McIntyre, I think in like episode four, she talked about the idea of one of the, she's a short term rental operator as well. And she says, one of the wonderful things about it is that you're sort of giving guests an opportunity to sort of try on a space. And and it's one of the things that I, I love about short term rentals over hotels is that you can really sort of go try on a community and we get with guests all the time that are just, you know, they want to, they want to come stay in the community and see whether or not it's something they want to do long-term. But there's also the idea of trying on a space and seeing, you know, a really designed space and going, yeah, we kind of like this. Sure. I agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's another avenue to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges right now with short-term rentals is that it's becoming so prevalent that governments, government regulation is becoming a bit of a challenge. Are, are there any ways that you're sort of trying to hedge your bets, protect yourself against that? Absolutely. And it's a really good question. I'm glad you brought it up. First thing that I'd say too, to add to that is that I am in support of regulation um, for the short-term rental industry. Right now I'm in San Diego and, and there's a, a big push Again, so you can walk down here and you'll see bandit signs that say neighborhoods are for neighbors, not vacation rentals. Or you'll mm-hmm. see a sign that says like vacation rentals destroy neighborhoods. I mean, it's, 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 it's that aggressive. So the way that I've hedged that is the assets that I own are in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And that has been a vacation rental community before all of us even existed. That's how they create most of their revenue. And so where I think people need to be careful 
is what's changed. And I was mentioning there's this change that the Airbnbs popped up. Well, Airbnb you know, has facilitated, I believe, what's called the rise of the, the urban short-term rental. Mm-hmm. So vacation, established vacation communities, right, have been operating for a while. The mindset, the worldview of the neighbors, the people, they're used to it. They're accustomed to it in a high-rise apartment building in, in a city that has only had long-term primary residents or long-term renters, you know, they might feel that revolving door syndrome and they might feel so, some of these emotions and, and I, can, I can empathize with that. So my hedge is that for vacation rentals, I'm only gonna purchase an established vacation rental communities that have existed before Airbnb. You know, and, and, that, and that are clearly showing the openness. And it was last year, two years ago, San Diego passed a referendum that, and I don't know exactly where it is right now, the legislation, but they passed something that said in San Diego, you could only rent your primary residence six months a year as a short-term rental. Mm-hmm. And then the lobby of the vacation rental industry and you know, all those people that were kind of sitting back, um, you know, just kind of cruising, not thinking that anything was going to pop up, then they took action. And I even believe Airbnb was suing the city of, you know, different cities for, you know, for different things. So there's a lot of legal battle going on about that. I think sometimes things are a transition when something's new as well. And you see this with Uber, right? You have the the taxi lobby fighting back because it's encroaching on our space and their opportunity. And and, and that's only natural. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I believe is that uh, people are demanding short-term rentals. There's a lot more value. There's a lot more space. There's a lot more amenities. There's just a, mm-hmm. a, a host of, of um, you know, more value that can come out of it. And with regulation, I believe that more areas will be able to you know, be able to entertain short-term rentals sustainably. Well, it's the vacation rentals have been around for years. They've been around forever. And part of the reason I think it's become an issue is that Airbnb has made it so easy. There's a lot more operators entering this, entering the space. There's a lot more operators that are not hosting responsibly, in my opinion. And that's really what gets down to the heart of it. Here in Las Vegas, they're very hostile to short-term rentals, primarily because they'd have a five-bedroom mansion in a nice neighborhood. And Sigma Nu from USC would come to town and rent it for the weekend. And and there's 20 cars um, 20 cars parked on the on the street and there's 40 guys staying there and they're partying all night and there's unsavory things happening in the you know i wouldn't want that i wouldn't want want to be next door to that either i understand it yeah but i do agree that that there needs to be a space for it to happen i think it's better to allow it to happen and and regulate it than 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 to just not allow it at all yeah we actually hear in Las Vegas area, the, you know, there's in Las Vegas, there's a lot of issues with it, but Henderson, which is right nearby has just taken on the, basically said, we're going to do it. And, and we're going to regulate, we're going to, we're going to regulate it, but they're going to get all that income stream that now Las Vegas is going to miss out on um, because, you know, they won't, they're not going to take, like, they're not getting the business license you know, revenue and the taxes and all these different things because they don't want it at all rather than figuring out how to regulate it in a way that makes sense. I mean, this is a vacation destination. It's maybe not as similar to like a beach town or something like that, but we have a university here. We have the Strip, which uh, personally, I would not stay on the Strip if I didn't have to because of the way that 
I like to stay, you know, I want to be able to cook, but also I have a really hard time with cigarette smoke and things like that. So I'm one of those people that for me, it's much more comfortable and gives me a lot more flexibility to be in a uh, vacation rental versus a hotel where, you know, you said you, you kind of get trapped. You feel like you're trapped in a box or, you know, you don't have that flexibility. So I think Las Vegas is kind of missing out on, on something that could be good for them, but I'm sure the lobbies there, you know, for the hotel and stuff have a lot to do with that. And then we have some big proponents that are in the government system that don't want them in their personal neighborhoods. I'm not sure that they necessarily care about (laughs) anything else, but it's affecting them personally. So they're, they're pushing, but Henderson has taken this opportunity and now they're going to have this income stream that is going to be, you know, probably a big boon for them. Yeah, it's the future's exciting, right? And you know, mm-hmm. it's something new, and sure, not everybody's going to be open to it immediately, and that's that's fine. I, I agree with all, every one of those points, and I don't want the twenty-four <laughs> Sigma Nu guys uh, partying next to me. Yeah, uh, either yeah. while I'm trying to sleep. You know, I actually make a product for that. It's called Noise Aware. Yeah, I don't use yep. it in any of my <laughs> rentals, but you know, it's become such a big fear of the vacation rental owner. It's like oh, I gotta check yeah. my number of devices, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in hosting as many people as we have, you know, I'm grateful. I'm not immune. I think one of the things that helps reduce against maybe some of the debauchery that could possibly happen, and again, we're not immune in the Outer Banks. People go there, they're going to the beach, they're going to party, they're going to have fun, is price point. So, yeah. you know, on average, we're anywhere between 60 to to $100 on average above our market averages, um, average daily rate. Yeah. Mm. That prices out those yes. young hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any um, systems that you use to help you uh, do price prediction? I mean, Airbnb is very notorious for they've got their um, their pricing system, but it's basically just a race to the bottom, mostly on that. Um, Are there any systems that you use to help you help you price? I can't say that I found a pricing system that I trust yet, mm. uh, and the reason being is that. I just haven't been convinced that a, an algorithm is going to know a market better than I know it. So I have a system that I've built, right, where we set up our pricing at the beginning of the year. And uh, most of, you know, in the high yeah. season stuff's going to all, all be booked out. Um, yeah. We don't really even know what a, an off season feels like anymore because our places are pretty much booked every week. At, you know, not mm-hmm. every single day, but every week. The weekends usually get chewed up. And, you know, this is a, this is a vacation, a beach vacation town. And sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, does get snow. So I, I haven't yet used the tool. I do, and I am a big fan of automation on the guest communications. We do use a product called Smart b yeah. mm-hmm. that did just build into their software a pricing tool. And so I'm kind of tempted to at least take a look at it. But we set yeah. up our pricing in the beginning of the year and then either Maria or myself, like every month we just look at what's two months in advance. What, you know, what looks, what looks like it's, and I'll, uh, we'll take a look at the price tips, mm-hmm. but we're not going to be beholden to the price tips. Cause sometimes I'll go below the price tip because I'll be like, that's not a, that's not a desirable time. Yeah. And yeah, so to make sure know. we get the booking, you know, it's still maybe $250 a night, whatever it is could make sense. Yeah. yeah. I think it's good to keep an eye on that. I know for us, you you probably have a different kind of your seasonal stuff is really big. For us, we have 
a certain number of like events that are really hard to keep track of because, you know, there's so many conventions and things like that. And we actually, you know, for a couple of years, we kept missing electric Daisy. What is that? Like a fest, whatever it is. It's It's, massive music festival. Yeah. And we kept missing it. Not real. you know, it would get ahead and it would open up before we went, you know, because we book, I think like six months out or something. And so it would open up and then we wouldn't realize that it was that weekend and it would be priced way too low and someone would snap it up and we were like, Bummer. Ah. so <laughs> now we have, we do use a pricing service that helps because it can, it tracks some of those better than we can keep a, our eye on it. I think if we were doing this more full time, we could probably do more like what you're doing, but yeah. for sure. us right now, we have to offload that uh, sure. task mostly because it just makes it easier for us to have lives and <laughs> yeah, jobs. Yeah, I, mean, you, you, I mean, you definitely don't want to be, you know, having to go into a pricing calendar all the time. That's a time dump for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I can respect it and I understand it. So I'm curious, I know that you, you said you have a girlfriend and I don't know if you have any kids or anything, but do you have any advice that you think might be helpful for someone that's, looking at getting into this space that has a family um, and might have a full-time job. I know you can speak to the, the job piece. So if you, if you don't have the family piece, that's fine. But, you know, someone who has a limited time, limited time on their hands, what, what should they know before getting into this? Yeah. So let me think about that. So this is a family that's remote from a vacation rental destination Probably, um, that yes. desires a, d- desires one of these properties. And, this is a dream. This is a dream for, for many people. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's important to, you know, the dream is important enough for a family to go after it. And I think what's important too, is to understand that whatever we're investing or wherever we're an entrepreneur, you know, we're always going to experience a lack of something, right. We're always going to experience a lack of something, a lack of time, maybe in this case, or, but that's, that's, that's what entrepreneurs, investors, you know, ultimately, you know, got to, got to make some decisions and say, Hey, look, am I, am I going to you know, be resourceful and, and, and figure this out? Or am I going to let that get in the way of you know, an opportunity that I might want to pursue? We see a lot of families come to a lot of, most of our uh, guests are, are smaller active families. And a lot of them have expressed interest in, in purchasing. And, you know, there's the fear of the distance. There's definitely mm-hmm. that fear of the distance. And it's, it's, you know, fear really comes down to, you know, a couple things. There's, you know, at least the way that I've been taught about it anyway, and could be wrong on this. Fear is a lack of certainty and, and it's a feeling of being alone. Mm-hmm. So I think applying it to this example, maybe they might feel alone or with a the property there, some combination of that. Well, what can they, you know, they got to ask themselves, what can they strategically do? To, to not to not have that feeling of being alone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there are property management companies that you can completely outsource a hundred percent of your property to. Now, there there is a cost to that. You're going to give up probably most of your cash flow. Mm-hmm. But if you buy right to, I mean, there's there's two ways you're making money here: either on cash flow or you're you bought right and you're making money on equity. So, also depends on what your goal is too. I mean, I'm looking at cash flow and equity. So. Yeah, I would say, you know, find find somebody or, or something that's going to help reduce that. And, and so you're not alone. The second part is going to be how do you reduce the lack of certainty, right? And, and so the opposite of that is confidence, having more confidence. You know, I would ask them the same question. What, what, what could they strategically do now um, to feel more confident 
about pursuing that opportunity. And, you know, confidence comes down to education level, but it doesn't only have to be somebody's, edu- you know, that individual's education level, because that might take a lot of time and be frustrating, but like, how do you leverage somebody's education, you know, and, and things like that. So I think investing groups are important, th- things of that nature, but you know, all these things are going to be out there for sure. The other thing I would say too, there's a great, there's a great quote by Brendan Bouchard, and I don't know if this is applicable or not, but he, he says, fear and faith both demand you believe in something you cannot see. You choose. Hmm. So, you know, from my mind, there's always going to be something coming from my very, you know, more tempered now, but my shorter New York mindset. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can, a buddy of mine, Joe Casey's a real estate investor, and, and he's a little cantankerous. And he says, look, you make excuses or you make money, but you can't do both. <laughs> yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, we can, we can fall victim to self-sabotage or we can figure out a way to make something happen. That's, that's what I truly believe. It's not going to be easy. Things might not be easy, but it could be worth it, right? If, it, um, if it's what you really desire and what you want, right? I mean, imagine, you know, families. I mean, that's part of why I got into this. I don't have the family yet to answer your question specifically. I, I have the dog. That's, that's how I've started. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easing me in. So, um, you know, I'm looking at it as, wow, this is an opportunity for me to, to get my time back so I can spend more time with my kids in the future. Um, yeah. This is something that I could leave to my favorite people, whether or not they want it, it's sell it, you know, I mean, you know, sell it, you know, if they don't want it, but they could, they could have, you know, a cat, you know, a very strong cash flowing scenario. I mean, for my own retirement, cash flow based retirement plan. So those are really, really powerful and important things. And, and I, I try not to let the little things get in front of it. And, you know, I understand them, I respect them, but we gotta, we gotta push past things to, to achieve things too. Mm-hmm. Do you have another question? No. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you so much for sharing us t- with us today. You've got the book coming out. Where can people pick that up? Yeah, so it's going to be available on all the, the major outlets, uh, your Amazons. That, that's, that's where I would say it is the easiest thing. But all major distribution outlets, Vacation Rental Confidential, will be available. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Awesome. And if any of our guests want to find you, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm I will give out my email address. I can't promise that I'm the fastest to, uh, to respond, but um, you know, we are doing some more acquisitions, things like that as, as time moves forward. And like I said to even starting to venture into the commercial space. Uh, one other way too that Maria and I, like yourselves, have thought about, hey, how can we contribute and get back to? Um, not that this is our main focus, but we are, we are doing some video series. We just finished one called the Get More Booking series, and we put it on YouTube, and it's probably a disaster, but um, <laughs> it's done, and it's better than perfect. So you can put my email address in, in the show notes there. It's just Mike, and then at live-swell.com. And if people are in the vacation rental space, we list all the tools and resources that we use. Um, we have uh, a vacation rental resources page. It's just live swell slash vacation rental resources. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for being part of our show today. And uh, we look forward to meeting you someday. Well, we love North Carolina and uh, we also love San Diego. We usually come down there every uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll okay, we're going to, we're going to have together. to, we're going to have to see you guys, see you guys out in one of these coastal destinations or uh, maybe yeah. when I get the gambling bug, I'll uh, <laughs> yeah. pop in and see you guys. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good one. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Michael Hamilton. It was so nice to have him on. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of really great information there. So what was your 
key lesson or, or most interesting takeaway? I would say it was sort of a mindset thing where Michael talked about the fear of getting started for a lot of, a lot of new investors face and some of the ways that you, one of the reasons that you have that feeling is one of a feeling of being alone. You're in this all by yourself. And also the idea of um, not feeling like you have the competency. Uh, and I, I, I know exactly what he's talking about that, that sort of experience and, you know, a lot of times a new investor really just wants someone on that first deal to kind of hold their hand a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of people go with turnkey, maybe start off with turnkeys, which I don't think is such a great idea, but it's, it's a way to maybe get over that first deal syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the idea of, of not feeling competent and it, it makes you feel like all those unknowns that you don't know are going to overwhelm you and, and you're going to lose money and things like that. So that was, that was a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. And there's a lot of ways that you can sort of combat that. I mean, partners, but also the education piece or uh, what did he talk about? He didn't really mention a lot of like specifics there, but I think the education sort of really makes a difference. Yeah, well, in his case, he specifically got educated by fortune builders yeah. Uh, which is a very well-known real estate mentoring organization. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any experience with it myself. It's uh, I know it is fairly. It can be fairly pricey, uh, and you know, Mike uh, Michael ad- admitted that you know he. I've heard him talk that he's spent he has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, a hundred thousand dollars on um, uh, real estate mentorship. So yeah. that's not uncommon. He did, I think he did also mention sort of groups and things. So meetups and, and investor groups, things like that. So there's a lot of ways to get over that feeling of fear or aloneness, even if it's just a book that helps guide you or a group that's backing you up that, that people are saying, you got this. Yeah. Well, and one, the one, one last thing before we move on is that one of the things that I love about real estate investing is that it's it's easy to replicate. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, you're not an entrepreneur who's creating a new product. Uh, it's a product that, that yeah. has been around for years and there's plenty of people who develop the systems and, and, you know, rules of thumb that you want to follow. So that's yeah. one of the things I like about real estate. So yeah. how, what about for you? What about? Um, I, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily a key lesson or just something that I found incredibly interesting. I really liked hearing about sort of, the detail piece. So just some of the small things that they do to like elevate their properties because, you know, he, he mentioned that they're not going for that bottom of the market price. They're presenting themselves as sort of a premium fancy, I don't know, not really fancy, but it's a, it's a destination. It's not just like a basic place to stay. So their price point matches that. And then, but they also provide amenities that match that. And then along with that, I found it interesting that not only are they doing that, but they're taking that and then sort of expanding it to really create a brand. So the, the live swell brand, you know, it's already sort of there within how they present their vacation rentals, but they're making it, they're monetizing it and creating ways to have even more income streams, which as we, you know, have talked about before is, is it's good. It gives you some backup. It, you know, it, it provides a little bit here and there and can increase your cash flow. But it, I just found it incredibly interesting because that for me is, is something that I felt like I, I could get 
into that, you know, like I love the real estate piece and I think it's important. And, you know, obviously I like participating and, and being a part of this team. And also that creative piece is probably more my, more your jam. More, my jam or my, where my like area of expertise or you know, not really expertise, but just where I would excel more. I'm not in the, like the numbers piece, obviously. So yeah. Anyway, I just found it really interesting to kind of talk about that and think about, oh, you know, is there something else that we could be doing in, you know, our rental that might be useful, even as not as necessarily another income stream, but maybe, I mean, we have a dog walker that I have some cards in there for. Maybe, you know, we could have more of a, a you know, display for her information and maybe put it even in the the rental information and then, you know, possibly get some referral fee or something yeah. like that. Or, you know, if there's a local soap company or whatever, you know, that I found that interesting. And, and even if it's something we don't use, it's something to think about. You know, we, when we first started, we don't do this anymore just because it's kind of a pain in the butt. And I don't know that it's really necessary or people don't really care that much, but we used to put a couple beers in the fridge, you know, and, and do some little small things um, and we could probably bring some of those things back. Yeah. We do have dog treats and like poop bags and stuff in there that, you know, are still things that are helpful because, you know, if you forget like your, your doggy bags, like that sucks. I mean, I forget them on walks sometimes yeah. and then I'm cursing myself. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things to unpack there and then, uh, then we'll move on is that one, uh, one of the things I love that you said is that build your business as if you're going to sell it someday. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's very much, uh, and he talked about the difference between an investor and a landlord. A landlord is somebody who's probably, you know, they're, they're uh, working in the business, they're working in the business, not on the business. And he, the way he is looking at these short term rentals is as a commercial property. Mm -hmm. It's not just a residential rental property. And with commercial, as we have talked about in previous episodes, commercial real estate uh, is valued very differently than residential real estate. It's based on the income it produces. And if he someday, I know he's growing towards this, if he is able to build up a portfolio of short-term rentals and he look, goes to sell that someday, he's not going to be just selling the property, the residences. Mm -hmm. He's going to be selling the income stream that those properties so it's very important for him to build in those extra income streams because that raises his net operating income and raises the value of the property. So yeah. really smart, really smart move by him. Awesome. We salute you, Michael. <laughs> yes. And and uh, and your girlfriend Maria. It's Maria. Awesome. So okay, so education. We talked about Fortune Builders yep. is where he got a lot of his education. Um, it sounds like he's very well read. You mentioned a few different books and probably follow some different podcasts. Did you get any other sort of education pieces in there that you feel like are um, important? He did mention a couple of books. Um, he said it was about six months before uh, mm -hmm. he was able to, before he executed on his first deal once he was with Fortune Builders. And um, I know that he's also, I'm not sure we got into it, but I know this from reading Michael's bio as well, is that he did go to, he went to Cornell for his undergraduate and then also was in graduate school, I believe, at UC San Diego. So he's highly educated. He's a business you know, mm -hmm. businessman. So yeah. So he's not your average he's not your average uh, Joe. 
Well, yeah, he would call himself, a, you know, your average well, surfer. Um, yeah, but, but, but he, not he, he is educated. Yeah. Um, he's got a, he's got a lot of education, business, and uh, real estate behind it. But so. I don't know that he need that you need to be that type of person no, to do I what agree. he's doing. I mean, we've already talked to a few different people that maybe not aren't doing exactly what he's doing, but are in that same same short term rental space, doing it a little bit differently, but still very successful and mm -hmm. you know so uh ziana mcintyre's one cannot remember his name he does the subletting oh uh fernando angelucci uh-huh yeah so he has a it's a different uh method but mm -hmm. it's still short-term rentals you know and and i think their education backgrounds are different and varied so you know it's it's definitely he is he is he's a very smart man and that probably has helped him to really grow faster and and make some really smart decisions well often uh i think with what you get from a business degree is the is the how important it is to develop systems mm -hmm. um yeah. and i think so many investors forget that they yeah. don't do that and they work they yeah. end up working in their business they burn out and they're the kind of landlords that either end up uh, selling at a discount or the ones that are, you know, you hear all the horror stories about, Oh, I would never be a landlord. It's horrible. You know, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, and along with that, you know, not just, Nope, it's gone. I don't know what I was <laughs> going to say. <laughs> doesn't right. matter. Well, let's move on. So how much money did it take for him to get started uh, in this niche? Um, he said, well, I don't, we didn't really actually, Oh, in this niche. Yeah. We didn't specifically we, his I, first deal. Yeah in this niche because yes. we didn't really talk about the numbers on his first deal, which were those mobile homes. Correct. But the first deal was a, but he bought it. It was $140,000 property that he only had to put 10% down. So he put about 15,000 down and then he put about 35,000 into it for uh, reservation or <laughs> <laughs> reservations. Yeah. Uh, rehab and uh, so about 50k all in mm -hmm. and he acquired that property for so all in I think he was at a hundred and well all in for fifty thousand dollars and now he said it, it praised for three hundred thousand dollars now so yeah yeah it's good uh, good equity there as well so yeah all right so time I mean we talked about this sort of we asked him about it and I don't know that we really got huge amounts of numbers we asked him like what he does but not really how much time yeah. I got the feeling that it's still sort of a full-time job for him because he's enjoying it on the parts that he does mm -hmm. as far as the actual operating it sounds like he doesn't do a ton maybe a few hours a week probably would be my guess based yeah. on what he said um, and then now he's probably doing a full-time job ish amount of time on the looking for things and development yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Although he mentioned they went to Bali and, and mm -hmm. so I'm guessing they probably have a little bit of that time freedom to, mm -hmm. to make decisions on what they want to do. Yeah. It sounds like the day-to-day -day operations are fairly well systematized and, and mm -hmm. uh, outsourced to employees. He talked about having an operations manager, an inspector, cleaning crew, we didn't really get into whether or not there was anyone yeah. else helping him out. The inspector um, and the operations manager, I think, are the same person. Same person. That was what I got. I, he said that the that person was an operations manager at a 
bigger company, which gotcha. at least that was my understanding. It could be yeah. wrong, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, he has a management team that he, you know, and he talked about really that he, you know, was big on hiring and finding the right people so he can really trust them and, you know, really feel like it's, it's going to be done right. And he doesn't have to, to be there. He can be in San Diego yeah. or Bali or Bali. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I would say his most of his time now, I would say, is probably on because they're in growth mode. They want to grow, and so he's yeah. more in sort of the acquisition phase where he's having to yeah um, and look the, at new properties and in the give back phase. He wants to mm-hmm. you know educate and that kind yeah. of stuff, which is awesome because that's really that's where you get into like the passion piece. You get those mm-hmm. you're doing it in a way that even though you might be working, it doesn't feel like work necessarily on most days on a good day. So, and I think that's really some people, we, we t- say that we want, you know, time and location independence. It doesn't mean that we don't want to spend any time yeah, on these course. things. It just means that we want to have the flexibility to be able to go to Bali and not worry about that. You know, what we've already put into place is going to be going to have a problem yeah. while we're gone. And I mean, they said that they went and they were thinking about buying some properties there. They didn't have the timing, but they did do some, you know, quote unquote work. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was while they were having fun. So yeah. I think that's cool because that's really getting to where you're passionate about what you're doing. And it's not just, you're not just going towards a goal is yeah. important. So can you do this from anywhere in the world? I would say yes. Yeah. Uh, but again, you have to have systems in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may be a time when you're getting it started up where you have to be there, where you want to be, you want to get, get a feel for how long it takes to clean it. And you got to hire, you got to hire people and, and make checklists and things like that yeah. before you can feel comfortable walking away and going away for to Bali for a month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, or living in San Diego and owning properties and operating yeah. three properties, 3000 miles away. Yeah, it's definitely important to get that. And I think he could probably be away for a significant amount of time. He'd just have to be available for, you know, problem calls for like if there was a really big problem. Um, But my guess is that probably most of the people who are working within his system have some kind of, if this happens, Mm -hmm. you do this or you can spend this amount for You can empower empower someone to say, hey, if there's a mm -hmm. problem... It costs less than $200. Just take care of it and then let me yeah. know. Yeah. So, well, that was Michael Hamilton with liveswell.com. Check them out when you get a chance. He's also got his book coming out July 29th, Vacation Rental Confidential. It was so great talking to him. Mm-hmm. All of uh, the stuff that we talked about will be in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, thanks for joining us. Let's hit the road. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.